Today's reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 4 verses 1 to 12. Finally, brothers, we instructed you to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you, for you know what instructions gave to you by the authority of Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in a passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives us, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. As in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we're just saying that you are majesty, you are king. And uh, this morning's passage is a fairly confronting passage because it's asking us to examine our own lives and to seek to live in a way which pleases you. Father, help us be honest with ourselves as we do this. Help us bow the knee rather than just have pride. We pray that our, our heart's desire will be pleased you. So please be with us as we uh, wrestle with the words that uh, you've written for us this morning through the Apostle Paul. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are a few things in the Western world that show the way Christianity is so out of step with the culture around us, more than the issue of sex. And that's in part what this passage is about this morning. The oldest problem that human beings have had on this planet is that we don't listen to the one who created us, the one who knows us, uh, the one who uh, wants what's best for us. Instead, like Adam and Eve, right back at the beginning of the garden, we listen to the creation of Creator. We listen to ourselves instead of Him. We listen to the world instead of the maker of heaven and earth. And when it comes to sex, this is especially the case today in the West. We listen to doctors, we listen to scientists, we listen to celebrities, we listen to counsellors, we listen above all, I think, to our own hearts and our own selves. Not the one who knows best and loves most. Uh, I've got to say that I have not been looking forward to the sermon, uh, sex again. I feel like this uh, topic dominates so much of our Western world at the moment, and uh, it's obviously been in part at the forefront of lots of the discussions and conversations that we as an Anglican Church have been happening. And so uh, I've been uh, feeling sorry for myself having to do this passage. <laughs> Uh, well, partly feeling sorry, partly blaming James, with James. Uh, <coughs> because I wasn't supposed to be preaching this, but I was supposed to be preaching next week, on, on next week's passage, but then I'm away now next week preaching in another church, and so we, James and I have to swap. But it's in our passage this morning. It's in 1 Thessalonians. 
And so we need to think about it today. And I love it that it's, we're not just picking this topic. That's, we don't do that as the seeds. We don't just pick uh, personal hobby horses or pet peeves or those kind of things. We're just working through a book of the Bible, it's what we do all the time, and it's come up. But then I thought, well, not only do I have to do it because it's part of the passage, but there's a need to do it. There's a need to do it today because the way that sex is pushed in the Western world, with the false teaching that stands behind it, with the, uh, the kind of rampant destruction that pornography is causing, with the misery that the so-called sexual revolution and sexual freedom has brought, it's good for us to stop for a few minutes and to think about what the Lord has to say, what the Creator has to say. So let's get into it. If you haven't been here over these few weeks, we've been in 1 Thessalonians for a while, and, uh, but there's a change in tone and a change in tenor in today's passage. Because 1 Thessalonians is only five chapters long. We've done three chapters so far. But in those first three chapters, Paul has been writing to this church that he started. A church that he began, he evangelized, he forced them to become Christians. But then he was run out of town by some opponents. And so he's been worried about them. He's been praying for them, wanting the best for them. And up until this stage in the letter, what he's been doing is writing with joy in his heart about their relationship with the Lord. He's been so thankful for the way they've stood firm and still love the Lord and are following the Lord. But today we get to a new stage. It's a different kind of tone. We've been here over the last few weeks. We've been encouraged. We've been rejoicing. We've been thinking about how we need to look after and love fellow Christian brothers and sisters. But today it's a bit firmer. Today it's a bit stronger. Today it's a new stage of the letter. Beginning chapter 4 verse 1 with the word final. Final. And you might think it's a bit odd because it's only chapter 4. And um, it's only five chapters, so he's got two chapters out of a five-chapter letter. But what he's going to do now is he's going to teach them some things they need to be strengthened. He's rejoiced in who they are, in their relationship with the Lord. Now he's going to bolster them in some areas where they need support. He's going to challenge them in some areas they need challenge. He's going to encourage them to do more and more in some of the areas they need to do more and more. These were probably some of the things that he mentioned chapter 3 verse 10 with the words you are lacking in your faith these are probably some of the areas where they are lacking in their faith and Paul wants to give them a bit of a bolster a strengthen. Now notice he doesn't start with these things he doesn't say dear Thessalonians avoid sexual immorality no he doesn't do that, he goes straight into their relationship with the Lord because Christianity is not fundamentally first at its heart about rules and regulations, it's about a relationship through Jesus Christ. That's its heart. And that's what he starts off this letter about. But once we're in a relationship with the Lord, then we, we desire, we, flowing out of that relationship with the Lord must be a desire to live for Him. So that's what the letter's doing. It's rejoiced in who they are, their faith, and their relationship with God first. But now it's moving into, well now how do you live in the light of that relationship? And so in our verses, Paul's going to start telling the Thessalonians and us, I take it, how to live for God. So have a look at verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you, and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So today it's a bit more stark, this passage, this time. There's more challenge, there's more instruction, there's more reminder. Uh, that's the, the kind. And he's going to be reminding them of things. Notice he already taught them. And that's part of the Christian life. We forget so easily. We drift so quickly. 
a lot of the Christian life is just reminding us about the things to live the way that we, we already knew about and should. In particular today, there are two areas that he's telling them and he's telling us uh, to do. One, avoid sexual immorality. Two, increase in brotherly love. Avoid sexual immorality, increase in brotherly love. So firstly, let's think about avoiding sexual immorality. Common accusation today is that Christians just make too big a deal about sex. What's wrong with you, Christians? You're already going on about it. You're obsessed. I totally reject that. Our Western world is obsessed with sex. We can't get away from it. Try and get away from it. Try and get away from it. You can't see an advertisement of a product without it being thrust in front of you. You can't surf the web without certain things popping up and asking you to click. You can't drive around the roads without images and billboards and things being in front of us everywhere all the time. What Christians do is respond to the world's obsession around them. But it's not just a response to the world's obsession. Because sex is important for Christians too. God says it is. I hope you can feel the weight of the words even in this passage from the Apostle Paul. Have a think about the weight of the words that Paul's putting on them. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathens who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish him for all such sins, as we've already told you in Luigi. For God didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Do you see the way the word is? This is why, I don't want to go into this this morning, but this is why we couldn't just agree to disagree or muck around on these sorts of things in the current discussions within the Anglican Church. You can't have these messages here. Paul's too clear on, on both the issue itself and the importance of the issue. Paul says, this is God's will for your life. Christians often wrestle with, what's God's will for my life? What's, what's God's will for your life? This is God's will for your life. That you be sanctified. What does sanctified mean? It means being, being made holy. And part of being made holy, part of being sanctified, is by avoiding sexual immorality. That's what Paul says here. And Paul doesn't just say that this is God's will for you. It's his will for you. He says, the Lord punishes these sins. And he then goes on further than that, not even that's enough. He says, so don't reject this teaching, or you're not rejecting man, you're rejecting God. Do you see the lengths he's going to to say how important he feels this teaching is? This is important. You can't muck around with this. And we're not loving people if we muck around. Or if we have a, a message which is yes and no, God, do what you want. Now, I don't want to misunderstand you. Sex is not bad or wrong. Sometimes the world thinks that Christians think that. It's even worse when Christians think that. Sex is not bad or wrong. Sex is good in the Bible. Very good. First instruction given to human beings. What is it? Go forth and multiply. You can say multiply. It's not. Doesn't make me feel awkward. Multiply. <laughs> Go forth and multiply. An instruction which by its very nature requires sex. It is good. The, the two become one flesh. These are all in the, right at the beginning of creation. Go forth and 
and multiply, the two become one flesh. It, it's a good thing. Read Song of Solomon's Trial to Blush. God rejoices in sex. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells husbands and wives to have sex all the time. He says it in 1 Corinthians 7. He says there's only one reason to stop. And even with that one reason, he keeps kind of giving counters against that one reason. And then at the end says, and make sure once you've stopped, even just for that one reason, under those certain circumstances, get back to it again. Paul is pro-sex. But it's God's gift. And he therefore sets the parameters for it, the limits for it. Not as a killjoy in the sky, not as a deity who just throws out random arbitrary rules, but as the one who matters, who knows us, who loves us, who knows what's best for us. God is for sex. Now, it's not the most important thing in the world, like the West sometimes try to say. It's not the centre of our identity or the thing that our lives should revolve around, like the Western world today sometimes tries to say. You can have a perfectly fulfilling life without sex. And I wish our world would celebrate that more. And you can have wonderfully fulfilling relationships that are not sexual. And I wish we rejoiced in those more and invested more time and effort into those. But it's still a gift from God. It's still a good thing in and of itself. However, like many gifts we have from God, we seem to have just this incredible knack of abusing it. Of abusing this gift using it in inappropriate or improper ways. And that's what Paul's getting at here. And he's saying, don't. Don't do it. Avoid it. We normally get these things wrong because we either work out our standards or morals or practices from our own feelings, our own urges and desires, or from the world around us. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do any of those two things. Don't follow yourself, your own heart, your own urges and feelings, and don't follow the Lord around you. Follow the Lord who created It's not our feelings or the world that teach us what is proper or acceptable. Look at verse 4, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. It's not our feelings or urges or desires that guide us in this matter, where you've got to be true to yourself. That's the passionate lusts that Paul warns us against. And some of our feelings and urges will be good, some of them won't. But don't be guided by this internal compass the world keeps to follow your heart. No, your heart's terrible, according to the scriptures. That's why you need a new heart. Sorry, I don't mean to be personal, but I'm going to be personal. Your heart's terrible. <laughs> Unless you're Christian, then you've got a new heart. Rejoice. Don't follow your heart. That's the passionate lusts that Paul's warning against here. Nor is it the world around us that guides us here. The so-called experts and the gurus, and, the, and they determine what's acceptable or unacceptable. No, they're the heathen that don't know God. So how would they know what's best? Why would we follow them? The sex is God's gift. Therefore, it's he that sets the boundaries. Now, Paul doesn't actually spell out what sexual morality is in these verses. Verse 6 tells us he'd already taught them these things. So they already knew it. He doesn't feel the need to spell it out. But we know, this is not rocket science, we know what it is from the rest of the New Testament that we're to avoid. Any sexual activity outside the marriage of a man and a woman is called sexual immorality in the scriptures. So, let me spell some of these things out. Sexual activity before marriage, sexual immorality. Sexual activity during marriage, which involves another person other than the wife or husband, that's sexual immorality. Same sex activity. Is, is sexual immorality. 
These are the sexual actions that do not please the Lord, that he condemns, that he warns us about here. And the overriding request here from Paul is to be, for us to be holy and pure. It's verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, verse 8, all the way through. And then he gives a word of encouragement because this is quite firm and, and stern for the Lord. The brilliant thing in these verses is, and please remember this if you forget anything else, you're not left alone in this struggle. Verse 8 comes with a wonderful comfort in these verses. We're not alone. God's given us the Spirit. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. One of the areas where the Lord can help. You're not alone in this battle. This is a particular area for you. You're not alone in it. You've got the Lord, by His Spirit with you. And one of the fruit of it, His work, is self-control. So let me say a few things on this topic. And I want to be franker than I would normally, or stronger than I would normally, because you don't want to muck around with it. One is, to those of you this morning who are here, and you know you're doing things the Lord wants you to refrain from. And I just want to back them up and tell you, stop. Stop whatever it may be that you're doing that you know the Lord wants you to refrain from. Live the Lord's way. And don't play games with yourself on this issue. Don't try and trick yourself or talk yourself into certain things. Don't think that it won't cause that big an issue in the future. Don't downplay it. Recognize the seriousness of it. Stop. If you're not married and you're having sex, stop. Stop. If you're married and you're not having sex, read 1 Corinthians 7. That's 1 Corinthians 7. If you're married and you're having sex with someone who's not your husband or wife, stop. Stop it. If you're flirting with either of those two things, i.e. you're single and you're getting closer and closer to having sex, or you're married and you're getting closer and closer to another person who's not your husband and wife, don't play games in his ears. Stop. It's too dangerous. And the consequences can be catastrophic. They're forgivable, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but the human consequences can go on and on. Trust gone. Pain caused that never kind of got back. Now have a think about the future when you're doing something in the present. Think about how it will affect. We don't talk about this sometimes with sex. We just say don't, because if, uh, that's enough. Get people to think about the future. If you're not married and you were thinking about having sex with someone, think about the conversation you're going to have one day with your future husband and wife. Think about the difference that conversation will be if you have and the gift you've given them. If you're married, and you're close to having an affair, think about the consequences that are going to happen if you do. But more importantly, remember how God views us, and then say, don't. Sorry. One of the difficulties with sexual immorality is it affects other people. That's why it talks about don't you know, cause problems for your brother or sister, because you always will be. If you're involved in something with someone else, it's going to involve someone else their future husband or wife, your future husband or wife, your children, your... It always affects other people. And it's why sometimes in this area, uh, people say, well, that's why pornography is kind of okay, because it's only you, you're not causing problems to anyone else. You can't speak on an issue like sexual immorality today without talking about pornography. It is everywhere. It is everywhere. And unlike my childhood, many, many years ago, when pornography was hard to get hold of, you had to work at it to get hold of it. And to get it, you always had to go through other people. 
So if you were embarrassed or ashamed, there was a kind of natural barrier to it. But now, in the privacy of your own room, with a click of a mouse, you can see almost anything you want to see people do. And it's when we think we're anonymous, that's when our heart comes out. That's when these things kind of take place, and, the, and it's awful. And the world says it's not harmful, because you're not harming anyone else. That's the world's cry for this multi-billion dollar industry. I so disagree with that. I don't even like calling it porn. People call it porn all the time. And even shortening it makes, makes it sound cool and harmless. It's not. Call it pornography. Call it for what it is. And it is so destructive. I personally think that it's going to be too late before the experts in our world suddenly realise the devastation that it's causing on generations of people. And it's multi-generations of people. I think by the time they realise it, and by the time they actually put in place uh, certain standards and practices with it, there will have been generations of people in this world who have been ruined because of pornography. Because pornography views sex as simply self-gratification. It just comes about me, me getting what I want, not about mutually loving the other person. And it inevitably leads to people being treated as objects, seen as objects, and then later on treated as objects. And it brings huge desensitization. So that what, what um, uh, kind of uh, people are attracted to and excited by at first doesn't work as things carry on. Just gets worse and worse, and people become desensitized. And people in marriages are unable to have normal physical relationships within their marriages anymore because of the, the, what pornography's done within their heart, mind, brain, all those sorts of things. It's awful. People talk about it as it's just pornography. It's not that big a deal. You're not hurting anyone. It's not as big a deal because you're not doing things with other people. It's so dangerous. It hurt, hurts everyone. The person who gets married to an addict is hurt like pornography. The person who treats their husband or wife as an object is in a terrible place. The couple who can no longer have physical, sexual relationships within their marriage because of pornography, it's an awful thing. Stop it. If you're trapped in the burden of pornography, stop it. Older men, stop it. Younger men, stop it. It's not just men anymore. Women, stop it. Accountability software helps, I'm sure, and there's some good programs that you can go on, but not enough. In the end, you've got to fill your heart with a love for the Lord. That's the only thing that will change it. Love, fill your heart with such a love for the Lord you don't want these other things. But things like accountability software can be helpful, and if you know you need to do that, put it on. Admit to yourself, and then maybe someone else you've got to problem get it on. And don't just have an accountability partner that you don't really care what they think or find out. Think of the person you'd be most ashamed of and make their accountability partner. Uh, I just, we, we want to, the Lord says here, he's got a different will for you. His will for you is that you're sanctified. And part of that sanctification is avoiding sexual immorality. Love the Lord with your heart. Uh, good thing too is, if, if you say, I can't try to stop you just said, stop now, I've tried to stop. I, I love verse 4 because it says, learn to control. Learn to control. It's not easy to control. It's not easy to kind of get on top of these things. You've got to learn it. That means I take it that you practice, at, at, and when you make a mistake, you get back on the horse and try again. 
learn to, to, to control yourself. Uh, on the other hand of this though, uh, I've kind of said stop pretty young. I want to honor those who are doing well here. This is not easy in this world that you and I live in. For those who are married right now and being faithful to your husband or wife, thank you. This is not easy in this world. Keep going. Keep doing what you do and being faithful to your husband or wife. Especially for those of you who've been married much, much longer, it's a bit easier when it's only a shorter time, or when you've been doing it for longer and longer and longer, keep doing it. For those singles who are not doing what everyone else in the world does, and who says you have to do in order to be a real human being, to take part in the but you're not just going with your urges, but seeking to honor the Lord with your body, you've got my total respect and honor. Thank you for what you're doing for the Lord, and keep doing it. You're a wonderful encouragement and example to us. There'll be others here this morning. Uh, there'll be different groups of us here this morning. So I've spoken to some and said stop. I've spoken to some and said uh, keep going. There'll be others who will be struggling and wrestling with guilt in this area. Know the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ. Know the forgiveness that's available in Jesus. This is a wonderful thing about faith. Our sin and failure is never the end when it comes to Jesus. We have in Jesus the Savior for whom nothing is too bad. Nothing is too great. Nothing has been repeated too many times. There's no divide too wide. Remember that. The cross is more powerful than anything you and I can do. It's to be Savior and know that you are, you are clean and the righteousness of Christ and say, thank you, my Savior. Thank you, my God. Of course, remember, hand in hand with forgiveness comes repentance. So that comes with the responsibility. Start putting it to death in your life as well. But know the forgiveness that's yours. That's not always easy. Doing those kind of things. And so, if you've got struggles in this area, can I encourage you to do three things? Uh, one is to pray. You're not alone. Pray God's Spirit, ask for His help. Secondly, keep reading your Bible. Because the Bible is the way that God normally speaks to us. He can speak to us any way He wants, but the way that He normally speaks to us is through His Word. Keep reminding yourself of what He has to say. Encourage yourself. Soak yourself in His world, not the world around us. And thirdly, speak to a brother or sister. Someone that you trust. Someone that you know will love you uh, in the midst of all these. Because sometimes bringing things into the light can be a wonderful first step to try and fix it. I do want to say a word of warning to those who think they're above such things. Someone who thinks, well, I've never struggled in this area. My relationship's too strong in this area. I can see how the couple's kind of that, but it would never happen to, uh, to us. Don't, don't be foolish. There's a reason why sex comes up quite a number of times in the New Testament. Not more than, there's other things that are more, but it's a lot. It's a lot more than others. People I never thought before in this area have. And it's one of the areas where one slip up can have enormous consequences. I'm not talking about in terms of forgiveness in our relationship with the Lord, but in terms of the human consequences in this lifetime, one slip up can lead to a world of pain. A world of difficulty. I knew of a Christian guy, Christian leader, who'd never had a problem with pornography. He's always been very strong in that area. But as he tried to help a friend battle with it, he saw it. And he became addicted to it. Just through one time. So it was an area where he always felt pretty strong. You, aren't, you let your guard down once, and the consequences can be severe. If you've been good in this area, keep going in this area. Uh, don't be foolish and think that it couldn't happen to you. One mistake with another person 
might only be one mistake and it can be forgiven with the Lord, but it could lead to a child. It could lead to a broken marriage. It could lead to, do you see what I'm saying? Don't, don't, the consequences can be so significant in an ongoing way. Don't muck around them. There's a thrill sometimes attached to seeing how close to a flame you can get before you get burned. Don't do it in this area. Because sometimes you get too close and you get burned. And I'm telling you, burn on this area can be devastating going forward. It can be forgiven, it can be restored, but it can be difficult. Somehow in this area, we, we know the statistics, but we always think we're different. Probably like car accidents. I don't know how many people have car accidents. But whenever I get in my car, I never think it's going to be me. It's always someone else. But it, it will be us sometimes. In this area, don't start. In this area, if you have started, stop. In this area, don't muck around. Some here today in this room know the pain and the hurt and the betrayal and the guilt and the shame that things in this area of life can cause. It's significant. Now, God is greater. He can forgive totally. He can break shackles and patterns. He can heal hurts and mend hearts and restore trust. But don't take anything of it lightly. Know that that's there with the Lord, but don't take any of it lightly. So the first way we live in order to please God, says Paul here, is avoid sexual immorality. Avoid sexual immorality. Very quickly. The second way is to increase in brotherly love. Have a look at verse 9. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Uh, they and us are to do this more and more. Apparently, as Christians, this is what we do and we do, but do it more and more. Notice this is brotherly love. That is, this is an intentional loving of our Christian brothers and sisters. We love everyone, but there's a particularity here to loving Christian brothers and sisters. And there's different ways of reading these verses, but I take it that he gives us three ways here to practically love our brothers and sisters. That's verse 11. These are the three practical ways. Do you want to carry on loving your, your brother and sister in Christ? Do these three things. Verse 11, live a quiet life. Live a quiet life. What does that mean? I'm looking around here, some loud people looking very worried. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't think it's saying you should never shout. Or you always have to use a whisper. I don't think it means lead a quiet life as in have a dull or uninteresting life. Otherwise, Paul felt this pretty bad. So did Jesus. And what it means, I think, is it, it's in the sense of peace. Peace with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's saying that to be at peace with one another. Like in communion, when we share the peace with each other, what we're supposed to be doing there is saying that, that if there's a relational problem here, as we come to the Lord and remember what Jesus has done for us, we'll fix our relational problems here and be at peace with one another. Very important. Don't be a conflict starter or a conflict magnet within the body of Christ. Now we can't always control, uh, well we can never control others in this state, we can only control ourselves, but let's control ourselves. Let turn the other cheek, that attitude be our default position. There are some Christians who delight in the drama. Don't. We're to have peace with one another, have quiet lives. That's what Paul says here. So that's the first one, have quiet lives. Secondly, mind your own business. Okay. Uh, I don't know about you, I hear that phrase, and I, I do that, I smile, and come and go, that's not that bad. It is. <laughs> There's a reason why gossip comes up a lot 
this, we think it's harmless, don't we? It's just a bit of chatting to a friend and they don't know what I mean. And it's such a destructive force. Very powerful. Now this is not saying don't be involved in each other's lives. That's one of the great joys and blessings of the Christian life. That we're not alone and others are involved with us. It's so good. But it's talking about malicious talk. It's talking about putting others down. Sometimes in a way that maybe other people wouldn't even notice too, but we know what we're doing. Where we're lowering them as we raise ourselves and putting, casting someone else in aspersions. And we're talking about their situation so that we feel better about our own. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking so that other people know that you know. There's some people that delight in that. I want everyone to know that you know that I actually know about that. But it's all about us, it's not about them. So, We've got all the work. So he says, live a quiet life, mind your own business. Lastly, Paul says, work. Work with your hands, he actually says here. The need to work is big. That's why we had the interviews today on work. And the issue of work was big in Thessalonica. Thessalonica, whichever way you want to say it. We know from two Thessalonians, there was a group of lazy Christians in Thessalonica. Now, Paul's not talking about here, though, for those for whom... For genuine reasons, they can't do certain things because physically they're unable to, or they haven't got paid employment, can't find it. He's talking about the idle. He's talking about the lazy. Paul says, work. Work with your hands. Work hard so that you're not dependent upon other people, so you can help others who need it. Uh, contribute. Work hard. Now, remember, it's not necessarily paid employment, but work. I wonder if it, be surprised if there are people here that work harder than Charlie, who was interviewed here this morning, but I don't think she's paid for it. Are you paid for a child? No, she said she loved, as I asked that question. So it's not pain employment. You could be working very hard at home, not being paid. And I'm not just talking about mums there. Oh, shock. Uh, you could be paid, not paid, as you serve other people and work hard. But work hard. I don't like to uh, um, point certain groups of people out, but I'm going to here. I want to have a word to some of our younger generations. <laughs> and I say this as someone who I felt there was a, a, a big difference between my generation and the generation of the I felt that we got lazy. I felt that we lost a certain word <coughs> and understanding of the need to work hard and the, the importance of it. Well, my generation makes some of the other generations look like they were the workaholics. <laughs> uh, I want to say to some of the younger generation, make sure you're working hard. And don't just be like the others around you. I'm not, I'm not talking to those who struggle with working too much. I'm talking about the idle. I'm talking about the lazy. That's what I'm talking about. Don't gain more knowledge and sleep all day. That's lazy. As your parents, by the way, don't allow your children to do that. You're not helping them. You make the rules of your house. Make the rules of your house and help train your children so that they're not lazy. They may not be able to find a paid job. I totally understand that in the country that they, we, we live in, but they can work. They should work. I'm speaking to myself. I walked past a certain bedroom this morning and I thought, oh my goodness, Jamie, put your gag It's the same in our household. Work hard. There is a time when it's right that uh, the parents do everything with the children at home. It's also right that the children start chipping in and working hard and learning what it is. And it's, I, I, I say that because I, I feel like there is a generation of younger guys in particular who seem to uh, be in a spiral of slackness and can't seem to break it. 
And here it talks about the importance of loving others by working hard, but there's also a, there is a real sense that uh, God's created us for work. And when we're being lazy, we know we're not being what we should be. And we actually feel guilty of it. And then we feel worse and we're even more unable to break the cycle. So there's, a, there's worth here just for us. God created us to work before the fall. Not that the, the fall ruined things and then we had to work as a punishment. No, no, it just made the work more difficult. We were created to work. There are a few things better than um, you know, feeling tired after you know you've worked hard and you've done something new. It, it does something to a person. We need to work hard. I worry we're getting lazy. People stop staring at your screens all the time. In every area of life, we go, you go to a restaurant and people are sitting there and instead of talking to each other, like, at our homes, at wherever we go, people are looking at us, work hard, work hard. So, uh, live a quiet life, mind your own business, use your hands. These are practical things we can aim at, but do you see what it does? It helps us increase our brotherly love. As, as you and I live a quiet life, i.e. have peace with others, as you and I uh, mind our own business and don't try and break others down, as you and I work hard, we're actually loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a great thing. And it doesn't just help us love our brothers and sisters in Christ. It sets a wonderful example to the world around us. Do you remember in John's Gospel where uh, Jesus says, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And what Jesus is saying, some of you remember the old chorus uh, with that chant. And Jesus is saying, the way Christians love each other will be a wonderful example to the world around. That's, Paul says the same thing here in verse 12. Do this so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you won't be dependent on anyone. Living the Christian life, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ is a powerful witness to the world around as we live differently. Because we don't fight and fall out all the time because we're living a quiet life. As we're not bringing others down and pointing out their failures to others because we're minding our own business. As we're working hard and contributing to others, not depending on others to look after us. That can actually be a wonderful witness to Jesus. Do you see here then Paul says two ways. There's more, but there's two ways here this morning that he's saying that we can live in a way to please God, avoid sexual immorality, and grow in brotherly love. Both involve what? Self-control. It's interesting that number three, it's all about self-control. And in the avoiding sexual immorality, it's about self-control. What a gift that we've got to spirit. Remember, this does not earn God's love. It doesn't maintain God's love for us, but it should flow out of God's love for us. We live in this way to please Him, that flowing out of His love for us. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for help for us individually, for our families and for our church family in this way, that God would help us with that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to spend some time hearing from you and then reflecting on our own lives. Father, I'd be very surprised if there wasn't at least one particular area touched on this morning by the Apostle, for where we see the need to put some things to death or to carry on doing certain things, whether it's the area of sexual morality, whether it's the area of living a quiet life or minding our own business or working hard so that we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ and be a wonderful example to you. Father, please, Give us honesty to be able to assess ourselves. And then give us the desire and the strength from your spirit to be able to change. Father, we, we, we long for change.
because we long to please you, because you're the one who first loved us and gave us such a wonderful Saviour. And we so desire the rest of the world to know him. If we can help in some small way, help us. But I pray that you would help us in practical ways this morning. For we ask you for the powerful name of the one who is our Saviour and our King.